What is up? I'm back with another off-season episode of the Orlando Magic. Uh, if you guys came from my uh, Instagram story that I put out yesterday, you know, there's a reason you're here. I'm super excited. I told you guys that already. I am so excited for this one. Uh, I put hours upon hours of research into this. I wanted to try to make it at least pretty realistic. Um, I mean, all of these, obviously, I try to make realistic, but this one I really, really, really wanted to make realistic because I literally think that this team could end up being one of the top five franchises of all time if this rebuild were to work and my method of rebuilding this team were to work. Obviously, we're tearing this team down. We're not going to try to retool like, let's say, the Raptors did when they got Kawhi Leonard. Um, so, uh, oh yeah, well, uh, I guess I just I just wanted to add this in. Top five franchises being Bulls, um, uh, Lakers, Celtics, and the Warriors. I think that the Orlando Magic could pretty much do the same thing. This team could be a dynasty. I, I And I know that sounds crazy when you look at them now, but when I break this all down, because this is not a normal offseason episode, obviously, I'm going to not only break down this year a lot, I'm also just going to talk about their future picks that I think that they could make, stuff like that, stuff along those lines. So, let's just get into it. Currently on the roster, the Orlando Magic, uh, if they rolled back, uh, ran it back with this roster in 2020-2021, um, they would have at point guard Markel Fultz, shooting guard if he accepts his $17 million play option, which he most likely would, it would be Evan Fournier. Uh, small forward would be Jonathan Isaac, even though he is currently injured. I'm just going to put him in the roster at the moment. Power forward is Aaron Gordon, and then at their center is Nikola Vucevic, by far the most underrated big man in the league. Sixth man is DJ Augustine. Oh, nope. Sixth man, I guess, is Mobamba. Ninth man is Al Farouk Aminu. Tenth, or not tenth man, uh, seventh man is Al Farouk Aminu. Eighth man is Ken Birch. And ninth man is Melvin Frazier. Obviously, they do have some work to do uh, on this team. A lot of empty holes to fill. As far as expiring contracts go, they have DJ Augustine, Marco Carter-Williams, and Wesley Iwundu. I really don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, anyway, if you have not listened to my other two episodes, basically what I do is I grade each team off of four aspects. Coaching, talent, assets, and potential. For the Orlando Magic, I gave them a B in every category. They currently have Steve Clifford in at coaching. Uh, he's a he's a player's coach, defensive-minded. He's pretty good. He's not terrible. Um, I don't generally think that he's like one of the best coaches in the league, but he's definitely not bad, and he's good pretty much on any team in the NBA if you're looking for a current head coach. As far as talent goes, I also gave them a B, like I said. Uh, Nikola Vucevic, as I mentioned before, one of the most underrated big men in the league. Jonathan Isaac, great defensive player already with pretty high upside. Evan Fournier was a marksman from three this year, and I think that he could continue this streak. He does every once in a while. Um, well, not every once in a while. He has seasons where he doesn't shoot this well from three, but I really think that this is uh I think this is who he is because he has proven it before in a couple of seasons where where he has shot over 40% from 3. And Markel Fultz who has finally proven that I mean while he wasn't worth the first overall pick is definitely still a playable player. Uh averaging 12 points and I believe 5 assists currently even without really much of a jump shot at all. And then they have Aaron Gordon, uh electric player but not really much to say about him. Uh as far as assets go, they have all of their picks and like I mentioned, they are pretty young. They have some young pieces here that they could possibly use. And because they have um, overall pretty, you know, 
solid talent, that means that they could also trade that talent for picks as well. I don't usually take that into account when I'm talking about grading their assets, but for this team, because I'm going to be trading some of their star players, I'm going to at least throw that into their overall grade. And as far as potential goes, I gave them a B as well. That may be a little bit high, uh, but Marco Fultz is only 22. Maybe he does get at least like maybe a mid-range shot or becomes a better passer. Uh, Jonathan Isaac could get a lot better on the offensive side of the ball. And same with Mo Bamba. He's only 22. People have already given up on him. Um, and I don't think that it is the time. He is a very raw player and doesn't really seem like he has the work ethic to become a superstar that we were once hoping. I don't really see him being an all-star either, but a well above average starter on the brink of an all-star, I wouldn't be surprised due to just overall his strength, his athleticism, um, if he can use that to his advantage and possibly become just a defensive monster and develop some sort of offensive game, I think that he would be perfectly fine. Their mindset going into this season, what should it be? This is what I wrote. So Isaac, he will be out next season and eventually, uh, obviously, 24. They have established a good culture here, and they could be great if their young guys do happen to develop. However, that could take a while, and they are getting up there in age with Evan Fournier turning 27. Nikola Vucevic already, I think, 20... How old is Nikola? I think he's between 28 and 30. Aaron Gordon is 24, will be 25. But other other than that, a lot of their guys are, you know, getting up there in age. Orlando will have more money. Um, overall, <clears throat> whew, excuse me. Um, Orlando will have more money than I think other teams in the NBA due to the uh, amount of deals that they have coming off the books and due to a lot of their um, contracts decreasing over time. So they could uh, sign possibly a solid player in free agency if they wanted to. Or they could go into an overall rebuild like I mentioned before. What does this team need? To me, I said they need draft picks, young players, and vets that fit young stars' uh, future roles. Now, what do I mean by that last one? I'm talking about veterans that can teach or hone the skills of players that I believe fit a certain role. If I find a very good 3 and D guy, I want a, a veteran that is very experienced and has consistently been a good three-point shooter and a good defender that can take this rookie under his wing, teach him some things, um... And whether that's temporary or permanent, it's always good to have a mix of veteran presence and young talent on the roster, at least until you become one of the best franchises. Then you can have uh, more young guys, more old guys, whatever it is. Um, but they, but that is kind of a lost art. Well, not lost art. I just don't think enough GMs take that into account when they're talking about rebuilding a team. And you need some veteran presence on your team. You can't just have all 23-year-olds because not everyone is going to be immature, mature enough to um, be a leader, to teach each other how to improve, to take the right shots, all of that stuff. You need some veteran presence on your team, and I want to take that approach when rebuilding the Orlando Magic. As far as coaching goes, like I said, Steve Clifford, not a bad coach, fits this team pretty well, and it would be unfortunate to fire him, which unfortunately I will do, because a good amount of his players love him because he is so blunt. Uh, he was a defensive-minded coach, like I said, and also a player's coach, but he is not the best developer, and that is key. That is crucial to this team, in my opinion. Teams liked his bluntness, and Kenny Atkinson is kind of the same way. In case you can't tell, we are hiring Kenny Atkinson. Runs a kind of grit and grind, uh, work your hardest ba- uh, style of basketball, great at developing young talent, which is perfect for the team, and is a player's coach 
probably not as uh, quite on the level as Steve Clifford was, but I think that this team overall, with the culture that they have instilled here, they will still come to like Kenny Atkinson. The draft. A lot of stuff is going to happen in the draft for this Orlando Magic team, and first is a super, well, not superstar trade, but a mega trade in which they trade Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross to the Warriors for Andrew Wiggins, the number two overall pick, the Minnesota top three protected pick in 2021, and a 26-2026 first-round pick swap. And in the pick swap, the Orlando Magic would be getting the pick that is more favorable. Now, why would both sides do this? The, uh, excuse me, the, um... The Golden State Warriors are kind of at a point where they just need to try to win now. Nikola Vucevic is, a, as I said, an underrated center. Not exactly the best three-point shooter, which is kind of unfortunate for the team, uh, but he is overall just a fantastic scorer, and you can't, wrong, get, can't go wrong having him on your team. And then you can either move Terrence Ross to the three or Clay Thompson to the three and have Terrence Ross start at the shooting guard. He is pretty good. I, he's not quite the star-slash-superstar we expected of him, Expected of him, expected of him, excuse me, uh, but he is a good sixth man and could be a pretty good starting guard as well, or I guess smart, starting small forward. Although I do expect him to run the two in this situation. Now, what do the uh, Orlando Magic do with their? Oh, well, I guess I should mention what the Orlando, why the Orlando Magic do this deal. It's obviously to stock up on picks. Andrew Wiggins was kind of a pain in the butt in this deal. I really didn't want to take him, but it was the only way to really get the money to work and to make it an actually realistic trade idea, in my opinion. Now, with the number two overall pick, the Orlando Magic will trade number two and number forty-five plus a twenty twenty-two second rounder that is unprotected to the Detroit Pistons for number 7, a 2022 unprotected first, and Jordan Bone. Now, why do both sides do this? Uh, the Detroit Pistons can finally get a star that they've been looking for. At number 7, you can't quite get the star that you want, maybe a good role player start, slash starting, uh, starting guy. Um, and overall, they, they just really need, they're, they need, they need a star. They have Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose who are both not necessarily past, well, they're past their primes. Yes, they are past their primes, but they're still good players. However, Blake Griffin is on a big contract and he's been very injury pro- injury prone. Uh, and Derrick Rose, just get him out of there. I want to see him on a on a contending team. Get him out of there. Uh, but anyway, they're also actually still pretty young. They have Luke Kennard, who's shown some promise, and Christian Wood, who really stepped it up this year. If you can combine both of those guys along with maybe Seku Demboya and whoever you draft with this number two overall pick. You could have a pretty solid starting core that you could build over time and maybe become a contending team sometime down the line. Now, why do the Orlando Magic do this deal? It's because they don't necessarily need a star yet. I do want them to draft the star later in the future or possibly sign a guy. Right now, I think that in this early stage, what they are doing is stocking up on future picks and building a core with no necessary superstar, I guess, or no guy that we necessarily think will be a superstar in the future, but building a team that you can build and then insert any sort of superstar into this team, and that would elevate um, the team overall as a whole without necessarily uh, worsening anybody's skill, if that makes sense. Rather than having a superstar, drafting a superstar, and then all of a sudden having him take a backseat role after leading this franchise through whatever... Uh, just because we decided we wanted to sign a superstar, I don't think that's the right approach in, in my opinion, especially if, you know, what happens in the future that I will be mentioning later actually turns out to be true. So, um, also, actually, you may be wondering why do the uh, 
Magic take Jordan Bone in the deal, and I will be explaining why uh, later. So, at number seven, the Orlando Magic will be taking Isaac Okoro. Uh, as far as game plan goes, I do plan on running a lot of off-ball. Um, I do wor- I do plan on working a lot off-ball and off-screens with the amount of tall guys that we have. Jonathan Isaac, Mo Bamba, Chuma Okiki, who is coming into the lineup, and possibly some taller guys later on uh, as time goes on, depending on who we manage to draft. And I think that working off-ball would be great, especially if we are an elite three-point shooting team. Granted, Okoro is not exactly the most elite three-point shooter, and I'll get into that. So, Isaac Okoro is a slasher, which, like I said, helps work with us off-ball, uh, which means he's also he's also just actually elite off-ball and is uh, able to get himself open for whoever in, uh, happens to be the passer at the time. Great defender, could be a great 3-and-D wing with a better uh, and more polished finishing game. Um, and if he does manage to work with Evan Fournier, and he's a super hard worker... Um, he'll be able to become a more elite 3 and D wing, like I mentioned before. He's, as I mentioned before, super hard worker and manages to fit the culture. He's also only 19, which means he very, very much so fits into the time frame of this rebuild. And he could be a very, very good cornerstone cont- uh, piece for this team down the line. Not necessarily maybe a third option. Maybe he does happen to develop into a third option on the contending team. But just a very good cornerstone uh, 3 and D wing type uh, solid starter, above average starter with elite defending skills for this team. And then at number 15, I will be taking Theo Maladon. He's a good passer with a high IQ. He has solid shooting mechanics, and of course, these can, these can be improved with Fournier because he is a bit inconsistent. He moves well off and on ball, which, like I said before, helps us because the scheme I do plan on running involves a lot of off ball movement and um, screening from the tall guys that we have on our team. The only issue that I really have with him is that he does not he doesn't exactly have the best assist to turnover ratio, but that can be worked on as time goes on. Granted, these guys are only rookies. We can't expect them to be NBA uh, NBA stars already at this young of an age. Now, the reason that we traded for Bone in this draft was because I wanted playmaking off the bench. He's been a very good playmaker since he came out of college, and I think that he could be a solid piece off the bench. Uh, not necessarily like. Uh, Derek Rose type sixth man, maybe Rajon Rondo, because he doesn't exactly have the best jump shot either, and I think that would be a solid comparison. I'm not talking prime Rajon Rondo, by the way. I'm talking the current Rondo that we've seen, not during the playoffs, but during the regular season, because, of course, Rondo has really stepped it up this year in the playoffs. Now, as far as uh, everything after the draft, which includes signing guys, re-signing guys, and, of course, trades as well, because you know we had to have some trades in there, Everybody that we have on the roster currently adds up to $60,213,406. Now, the salary cap, if you have not listened to my other episodes, is about $120. (coughs) Excuse me, I choked, sorry. Um, The salary cap that I'm currently using is $120 million. Um, So, considering that we have $60 million left, we still do have a pretty good amount (laughs) to to spend on possible free agents or re-signing guys. However, currently Orlando isn't exactly the biggest market. The Orlando Magic aren't exactly the most notable team, so the chances of us actually landing a superstar are slim to none. So what are we going to be doing with this money? I'll tell you. First things first, we signed DJ Augustine to a contract worth two years, uh, $14 million total or $7 million per. I could see him getting upwards of $9 million uh, per year. However, he is 32 
and he was kind of overpaid in my opinion at $7 million, but he did actually step it up considerably this year, averaging about 10 points. Not exactly on the best efficiency, but still, 10 points is 10 points, um, and we're not exactly looking for efficiency from guys that will most likely not be on the team down the line. Evan Fournier will be re-signed. We are not going to have him accept this player option. We want to sign him on a long-term deal right now. He will be signing for four years, $76 million total, or $19 million per year. I could see him, of course, getting 20 to $21 million per year, but I think $19 million per year is actually still relatively realistic. Um, so that's what I'm going to be sticking with for now. As far as signing free agents, not re-signing guys, but signing guys in free agency, what we're going to be doing is signing Frank Kaminsky to a one-year six million, or no, one-year three million dollar deal. Signing Dwight Howard for a one-year four point five million dollar deal. Now the reason that I signed Frank Kaminsky is because I want him. To, he isn't exactly um, the highest scoring player. Uh, on the roster. However, he does manage to stretch the floor a bit, and if he can ha possibly work with Chuma Okiki or possibly work with uh, Jonathan Isaac, even though, of course, Isaac is injured this year, uh, maybe he can help them get both get better offensively, and we possibly have more than just a defender that can't really score, because we don't want to be like the Denver Nuggets, where they have Gary Harris on the floor, and he just really isn't an offensive threat, and it feels more like a 4-on-5 when you're on the court than it should than it is a 5-on-5. Five and as far as signing Dwight Howard, Mo Bamba really, in my opinion, still has potential. Um, and if Dwight Howard can, you know, of course, uh, uh, teach Mo Bamba some of the ways of being such a great interior defender like he was in his prime and how he currently is actually doing right now um, on the Los Angeles Lakers, then that, of course, increases Mo Bamba's potential. He could be maybe a poor man's Rudy Gobert with great interior defense. And Mo Bamba really actually does have a better jump shot than people think. Uh, he can stretch the floor floor not exactly like your typical stretch big, but if required to take a three-point shot, you can at least somewhat trust him to take that and knock it down maybe one-third of the time. Uh, and he could also be working with Frank Kaminsky, even though Frank Kaminsky isn't exactly like an elite stretch four, he can stretch the floor more than your average uh, big man, in my opinion. As far as rookie contracts go, we sign uh, Isaac, uh, Isaac Okoro to a two-year uh, deal with a one-year team option, which is about $4.5 million per year. It'll probably, of course, grow as time goes on to maybe 5.5 and $7 million, uh, $7 million being the team option, obviously. And then as far as the Theo Maladon goes, we sign him to a two-year contract with a two-year team option at about $3.5 million per year. Uh, the reason that I do this is because I think that Maladon, uh, Maladon is more of a project and uh, Okoro will be more useful to me. That doesn't exactly... I guess that He's not more of a project. I think that Okoro is more of the project, but I think that Okoro will have better value even if he doesn't turn out to be who I think he is, right? The only thing that uh, Maladon really has going for him is his playmaking ability and his semi-consistent jump shot, right? But if he can't playmake at an NBA level and his jump shot isn't consistent enough, there's not really a point for him being on the team. However... Okoro will still be a very, very good defender, a very elite defender, and a slasher as well, very good off-ball movement, right? And so I think that he still has a point, uh, like being a very good role player, possibly 6th, 7th, or 8th man, even if the 3-point shot that we want or the mid-range shot that we want really doesn't work out. Plus, considering his work ethic, his massive, massive work ethic, I think it's just overall better to consider uh, Okoro more of the project. Granted, you may be thinking... Well, if Okoro is more of the project, why would you? Why wouldn't you? Uh, or if you think Okoro is going to be better long term, 
why don't you uh, sign him with a two-year team option? I'll get to that in just a quick second. Uh, just just wait, just wait. Now, as far as offseason trading goes, what we're going to do is trade Aaron Gordon to the Trailblazers for, a 23, for the 2023 first-round pick and their 2025 first-round pick as well. Both of them will be top, or no, 2023 will be top three protected and 2025 will be top five protected. And then we will also be trading Markel Fultz to the Wizards for a 2025 first and a 2024 second, both of them being unprotected picks. Now, why do both teams do both trades? As far as the Trailblazers trade goes, uh, the um, the Portland Trailblazers really need to win now. Aaron Gordon is on a decreasing contract as time goes on. Hassan, Weiss, Hassan Whitehead is leaving this team, unlocking about $30 million in cap. And him and Nurkic, neither one of them can really play the four well. So if you can get Aaron Gordon, who is at least better playing that position, I think that you're getting a bit of an upgrade there. And you're not giving up too much overall uh, for that uh for $15 million less and a player that is actually very good in that position. Because while Zach Collins, yes, does technically play the four, he's also classified as a center, so that means that he could possibly be coming off the bench, or Aaron Gordon could be coming off the bench for them, depending on whatever they want to do. And uh, as far as the Wizards, why do they trade for Markel Fultz? They are kind of in a spot where they're not sure what they want to do, so this gives them an option to possibly get a young guy for the future or a better sixth man for them. He plays similar to John Wall without the speed. Neither one of them really has a great jumper. Um, they uh, manage to use a drive and not necessarily a kick, but they tend to work on the uh, score through the inside game more often than the outside game. Now, as far as contract plans, this is what I wanted to get into when I was talking about why I didn't sign Okoro with a two-year team option. So, Jonathan Isaac will need a new deal after the 2020-2021 uh, season is over. We will have excess cap and could get him for 15 to $20 million, if not less, due to his injury. So, we'll say about $14 million a year, right? This is a similar approach that the Boston Celtics have taken. As, you know, Gordon Hayward will accept this player option this year, but once next season rolls around, that's $38 million that is all of a sudden off the books that they use to re-sign or give an extension, a mass, uh, max extension, to their star players. We are taking that same approach. However, we don't have to sign uh, John Isaac to a max extension, but it still makes sure that we're clearing up cap space for these guys' extensions when we need them. And then, Mo Bamba's option... Uh, will be accepted in 2020-2021, and after that, he will need a deal the year after Jonathan Isaac needs a deal, which will be 2021 to 2022. And when he needs his new deal, Augustine and Aminu will both be gone, unlocking about, uh, let's see, unlocking $19 million in cap space that we could use to sign Mobamba on top of the massive amount of cap space that we already had left over from Jonathan Isaac from that offseason. Uh, I he could probably be re-signed for twelve to eighteen million dollars a year, depending on how much he improves. And of course, if he doesn't really improve much at all, we're not going to be signing him to a twelve to eighteen million dollar a year contract. It could be five million a year, it could be seven, it could be none at all. Maybe we really just don't want him anymore. Um, but this at least gives us the option to give him a large contract if he all of a sudden really proves that he's worth a larger contract. Now, Okoro's option will expire after the 2022 to 2023 season, and he'll need a new deal, so we'll have excess cap. And I think that the sooner that we can get him on a deal, the better. Uh, getting him on a long-term deal, the better. And so, due to the, our excess cap, we'll be able to re-sign him 
Now, Theomelodon will expire after the 2023 to 2024 season and will still have excess cap. This is what I mean. And also, of course, if Theomelodon or none of these guys don't actually turn out as well as we expect, then we you know we had them on super cheap deals anyway. And if we don't want to re-sign them, we don't have to. And we can spend this giant amount of cap space on a big-name free agent. Because granted, not everyone will want to come to Orlando, right? But if you throw them an extra $10 million, not $10 million a year, but if you throw them an extra couple million a year, maybe all of a sudden they're kind of like, I do want to go to Orlando. You know, they've got some more money for me. So that's overall how the contract plan will work out. And uh, I want to get into the lineup for before the 2020 to 2021 NBA season. So at point guard, we'll have Theo Maladon. We're going to give him about 30 minutes a game. Evan Fournier will be starting shooting guard, averaging 35 minutes a game. Andrew Wiggins is currently on the roster. I almost forgot about this man. He will be getting 29 minutes a game, which is actually the least amount of minutes in our entire starting lineup. At power forward, because Jonathan Isaac is out, I would have had him here. We're going to actually have Chuma Okiki in here, and he will be getting 30 minutes a game. And then Mobamba will be getting 33 minutes a game at center. Off of the bench, we'll have Okoro getting 28 minutes. We'll get Jordan Bone at 7th man getting 20 minutes. Dwight Howard getting 15 as an 8th man. Kaminsky getting 10 as a 9th man. And Augustine will be getting 10 minutes as well as the 10th man. We'll also have uh, Aminu, Kem Birch, Melvin Frazier, and James Ennis on the books. Um, but none of those guys will be getting minutes. We're going to be running a 10-man rotation, and that is probably what our rotation will be looking like. As far as the 2021 offseason goes, yeah, this is this is what we're looking at. I think that we're a young team, and because we're so young, I don't think that um, we're going to be exactly the best. So we're probably near the top of the lottery. I'm going to give us pick six. And the Timberwolves are a late lottery slash mid-first round pick, and we got that pick in the Warriors trade. So that pick is actually going to end up being number 13. What we're going to do is go for Jalen Johnson, and if we have to trade both picks up in order to get him, that is perfectly fine. He could end up being a six foot eight point guard, even though he is classified as a small forward. He's a good defender. He's versatile on both ends of the floor. He has a solid mid-range and finishing game, meaning he can create for himself and others. His shooting form is solid, but it can be worked on. But if we can get a 6'8 point guard who is a great defender uh, that is even better than Theo Maladon, then I will certainly take it because I want us to be great on defense and offense. I don't really want as uh, a ton of weak spots overall on this roster once we start to reach our peak. Now, if we do manage to get Jalen Johnson at 6 and we can keep pick number 13, we will take Scotty Lewis. He won't exactly be a star. He'll probably be a role player. Because he is a slasher, so he will be pretty good off-ball. He's a freak athlete. Uh, he's a standout defender and could be a 3-and-D type role player. Of course, the three, uh, the overall 3 aspect of his game, he's not exactly the best 3-point shooter. It could use some work, but we have Evan Fournier, and we probably will be able to sign some other guys in that same offseason that can work with him to improve his jumper. Now... Draft picks. I want to talk about my strategy with the draft picks going forward. We stocked up on late picks like 2025, 2026 of teams that I think will be lower to mid-end of the lottery. This means that when our core hits its prime and we have superstars on this roster, we'll still be drafting players that are young, right? We won't be using our draft picks that are, you know, late first rounders. We're going to be drafting in the lottery, Maybe. I mean, granted, things could always go wrong, but we're going to be drafting the lottery, getting guys that we can, rather than uh, signing vets to short-term cheap deals, 
We can be drafting guys that possibly have a better future in the NBA than those vets ever do. And if the, of course, if those guys that we do manage to draft turn out to be something really special, then we can either trade them or trade someone else for more draft picks because they're so young and they're so valuable that this cycle just keeps continuing. Trading for draft picks, drafting young players when our core is at its peak, and just keep going through that cycle. I think it could be dangerous. And then real quick, in either 2022 or 2023, depending on when he declares for the NBA draft, do everything in our power to get Amani Bates. Kid's going to be a superstar. Um, if that means trading a good amount of our picks, then that's what we do. Right, because we will have some of those later picks that we can be drafting with once we reach our peak. We won't need all of our late picks. But if we trade, let's say, our 2022, 2023, 20, no, no, because we may be needing to draft him, right? But if we need to trade our 2022, 2023, 2024 first rounders, um, like four first rounders just for that number one overall pick, or maybe throwing in, throwing in a young guy in there as well, we will do that for Romani Bates. Um, now, my mindset going forward, this is why I think that the Orlando Magic, not just because of my rebuilding strategy, but this is one of the biggest reasons why I think that this team can be such a good team in the future. There are more billionaires and millionaires moving from New York City to Florida, and Florida is getting more popular, which means that Orlando, uh, well, that just means that Orlando is getting more popular as a whole, maybe some higher, higher income jobs, and people are like, you know what? Weather's nice. I can possibly get get paid more. There's not as much much uh, in taxes. I'm gonna move to Florida, and of course that means a larger market, which means a bigger audience, and of course that means that Orlando could capture a large majority of that incoming uh, market, make them like get those Orlando Magic fan uh, Orlando Magic fans, and of course that means if you have such a large market, such a large fan base, you can possibly get large free agents, big free agents in uh, in free agency. One thing that I do want to mention is as soon as CP3 retires, hire him or make him slash Atkinson an assistant coach. This would be a deadly combo of winning, of development, and of high IQ coaching. And this could be one of the deadliest coaching combos in NBA history. Now, of course, this culture has already been instilled, but the culture will be hard work, grit and grind, and defense, which is, of course, a winning uh, winning method in my personal opinion. Uh, to winning rings, to becoming one of the best teams in the league, and to overall just make rookies feel comfortable, which can lead to more team success. Uh, I already kind of described this, but the player slash pick, uh, the player to pick cycle, which means kind of just winning through the draft. Basically, if uh, once once the, once we reach our peak, like I mentioned before, once we have our young guys that we've managed to get in the draft reaching their peak, they're all signed to long-term deals. And we're drafting with these Rockets picks, these Wizards picks, and these Warriors picks. We're getting guys that are very talented. If they turn out to be something, we can either trade them for more picks for in the long term, like we just did, um, like we just did with Markel Fultz and Aaron Gordon, or um, we trade someone that's currently on a roster that we think isn't as good of a fit on the team than this new up and coming guy, right? And trade him for picks in the future. And then that cycle just keeps continuing, if you understand what I'm saying. Final thing I want to say is trust the process, don't rush it. This is not going to be a two-year rebuild, three-year rebuild. We're not going to be rushing things like I think the Philadelphia 76ers did. I'm not going to be forcing anything. Um, This is going to be a long rebuild. We'll probably reach our peak in 2026, 2027, right? Um, And I think that it's just going to be deadly. Like, the, the amount of young talent... 
on this team. It's just, it's so deep. Like, already, already, right, this team has, uh, like I mentioned in the starting lineup, we had Theo Maladon. Um, once Evan Fournier leaves the team, we'll, we'll, we'll say, let's say a Coro. Um, we can say Chuma Okiki at small forward once Andrew Wiggins leaves. No, 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 no. We'll say, like, let's say we get Imani Bates, put him at small forward. Okay, actually, I just messed this whole thing up. Basically, at its peak, this is what I think the roster could be when, like, we reach our prime. Jalen Johnson starting at point guard, right? Uh, Isaac Okoro starting at shooting guard. Imani Bates being the star, superstar small forward. Jonathan Isaac or Chuma Akiki starting at power forward. Whoever happens to develop a better offensive game will be whoever starts in that position. And then Mo Bamba being our center. Off the bench, we could have uh, Jordan Bone, obviously, and Jonathan Isaac, along with whoever we manage to draft with our future picks as well, or whoever we manage to sign with some of our cap space that we manage to have. And that doesn't even include possible, you know, uh, free agency signings, snagging guys in free agency, signing some long, uh, some large long-term deals with superstars. I hope that this episode made sense. I know there's a lot to dissect. Like I said, this took me hours upon hours upon hours of research. I was super happy, super excited making this. Literally, if I could own one team in the NBA, it would be the Orlando Magic. And I do want to own an NBA team, by the way. I really would love to do it, in case you can't tell by the amount of uh, work I put into this episode. So I would, um, if there was one team, it would be the Orlando Magic. I truly believe that if things play out right, if this, this like, um, game plan that I have, this rebuild that I have were to work out, like, I believe this this could lead to a dynasty, right? Now, granted, let's say they don't get Jalen Johnson. Let's say they can't trade for Imani Bates or something. I still think that this team is very good in a championship contender with the amount of defense and young talent that they have. And, of course, future picks, like I mentioned. Anyway, thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to be coming out with another episode, one of uh, probably another off-season episode sometime soon. Um, I do have a lot of stuff that I've got to get done, but I really needed to get this episode out. So it may be a little while before the next podcast episode comes out. I do, of course, plan on posting some more on Instagram. Uh, I know I've been kind of falling behind there, but I do plan on posting more. So get ready for that. Anyway, thanks for listening to the episode. I hope you uh, enjoyed. Feel free to listen to my other episodes, and feel free to um, get ready to listen to some more future episodes. Um, I'm Sam, Sam Conrad, Conrad Sports Cards, whatever you want to call me. And uh, this has been Conrad's Card Closet.